Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, talking to you from our RV studio that's about as far away from from home home as as we could get. Yes, we are aboard the Azamara Journey, which is off the coast of South Africa. We've tried very hard to make our studio as (laughs) sound-friendly as possible, but we are worried that the sound quality will not be up to our usual Well, not only the sound quality, but will we be able to mount this podcast on time we have never missed a month, but... but It's uh, still they, challenging, even after all these years. They tell us that the ship is getting Starlink in the next few months, but... But not soon enough. And the Internet, uh, even though it's 20 bucks a day, uh, is not uh, really up to high-quality standards. So we'll see, ladies and gentlemen. Your navigators are going to be working very hard to make sure that you are able to hear this podcast on time. But before we get too much further into it, we should mention that this is episode 215 from March of 2023. And this is one of several journeys we are on. This is a two-month journey that we are taking through South Africa, and it started with a safari. What a neat experience. Yes. And then we are doing this uh, 33-day cruise that will be taking us all the way up to Lisbon, Portugal, in in the next few days. So we may be having these same complaints again next month. But, of course, you tuned in for an RV podcast. So you better talk about some (laughs) RV. It's hard when you're this far away from home. But, of course, uh, RVing is always at the top of our list of things to talk about. And we have had an interesting discussion um, with one of our fellow uh, travelers on the safari because he was an older gentleman they were interested he had just he's already bought it a travel trailer that he's going to attach to his car he'd been a gasser motorhome guy for a while but decided to downsize uh, with a uh, it was a 22 foot uh, travel trailer and I warned him about the experience that we had with our travel trailer uh, it was almost 30 years ago that Martha hung up her driving uh, skills with a motor with a tr- in the RVing industry because we totaled an RV going down Interstate 80 on the 4th of July. Well, I was actually driving um, a travel trailer and I was on I-70 and uh, we had just refueled uh, so our gas tank was full, our propane tanks were full. Uh, We were on the expressway and it was being repaved so one lane was uh, a little higher than the other. I was passed by an 18-wheeler. Even when you're in a car, sometimes you feel that sucking motion as the air whatever pressure changes uh, as it goes by you. And then I entered a bridge which was over a fairly deep valley and wind was coming up from the valley. So it's my impression that those three factors contributed to the fact that I started fishtailing. I hit one side of the bridge and then I hit the other side of the bridge and it felt like the trailer was driving me rather than I was just determining what our route would be. And about halfway down the bridge 
bridge, um, the trailer flipped over from all the fishtailing. Flipped and, on its side. And, and that flipped us over in our tow car, and we slid uh, with all of the 4th of July traffic behind us down the remainder of the bridge. It was a very traumatic experience for me. I hate having to talk about it again, but we want to make sure that this doesn't happen to any of you or to our new friend who just purchased a new travel trailer. Because uh, I think that those factors that she just mentioned were important, but I think there might have been another factor at play here. And understand that we have uh, we drove this this particular rig all the way to Alaska and back. Um, this was a new trip for us. Uh, we were just going out west. Uh, to Colorado. So we it, we it wasn't like we weren't experienced uh, travel trailers towers, but uh, and subsequently I have looked and searched and and I think that we may have uh, been misbalanced in terms of the loading of the weight in the travel trailer. I wouldn't expect. To, to make this recommendation, but uh, U-Haul has a very interesting video that every travel trailer tower should watch because this video, and I'll try to put a link <laughs> in the website if I ever someday. get it someday if I ever get it up, but this link shows a demonstration of a model so they have a little model car and they have it towing uh, a, a travel trailer I mean, this is very small and what they do is that they have it weighted uh, as you would have um, and so it was balanced and then they take a weight and they move it to the back of the trailer and they give the trailer just a little shove it's going down the road nice and smooth but they give the trailer just a little shelf in it goes into a fishtail just like I did and we of course had the uh, leveling hitch we had uh, sway, sway controls we had you know all the stuff on our vehicle but it still decided that it was going to sway they recommend that you put 60% of the weight on the hitch and uh, that is something I probably didn't do it's very easy I think to put stuff in the bad places uh, it would turn out to be bad places in trailer and cause it to then be unstable one thing this causes me to think about again is the water tank I think yes. we didn't travel with a lot of water no. just because it was heavy exactly but but, but wherever they put yeah, the water tank it's, in your rig is where the water is going to be and you I, have to be aware of balancing against that at eight pounds a gallon you can carry 25 gallons of water and that's uh, over or 200 pounds and that can make a significant difference and I think that most of the time that the manufacturers put the water tank over the axle but still that can upset that balance and it's it's pretty finely tuned so as a recommendation from your RV navigators I suggest that you not only watch this but then pay attention to how your travel trailer is loaded now just for as the people that are fifth wheelers out there well this is less of an issue this is what one of the things I was going to mention that was 30 years ago we have not towed a trailer a travel trailer since then and of course you haven't driven any RV since then but we then immediately switched to a fifth wheel which doesn't really have this problem you never see a fifth wheel swaying uh, I wouldn't no, say never but true. well but very rarely and a lot of people ask us why we are in a in a class A and the reason why is because it's easy to drive and it's much more stable our 
travel trailer probably had a capacity of about maybe 1500 pounds <laughs> which sounds like a lot but when you put when you put bikes on it and you put and that's another you know bikes in the back are yeah, just bad that's news. just where you put them yeah um you know you get all that weight as far back as you can and that's just as deadly on now this. i'm thinking as we're talking we often see class a gassers which have a lot of rig extending out mm -hmm. past yes. their back wheels could that be a problem for them too i think it could be but it's not it's not going to cause sway like this i'm uh -huh. not sure it would cause it would just cause you to hit the gas pump when you misjudge a turn uh, some things like that. but the reason why we went to a, a diesel pusher was because it has ours has six tons of carrying capacity so we literally can bring everything we want to bring and it's very stable and it's easy to drive as far as i'm concerned you're up high and you have a great view of the road and and it doesn't does it, you just don't have that white knuckle driving that we had with the travel trailer you know the trip to alaska was great but it uh it was uh at times it could be uh white knuckle so we would recommend that you take a look, and if you if we don't get the link up, it's part of the YouTube, the YouTube, YouTube U-Haul collection. collection. So take a look at that, and just put it in the back of your mind as you're packing your travel trailer that 60% of the weight should be on the hitch, and that that's very critical for the safety take it from your rv navigators they have had the problem and we are passing along good tips to you i'm looking at the website and it's it's got a safe trailering demonstrator you uh -huh. could probably google it that way because you of course is concerned that many of the people who use their trailers have never trailered yeah. before and could make all sorts of mistakes that nobody wants to go through so maybe there'd be more than one video there that would be helpful yeah, for our yeah, viewer yeah so with that, uh, we can talk a little bit more about the fun stuff that we've been doing, and that is the safari. Safaris are interesting because the object is to see animals. In their natural state, <laughs> doing what they want to do whenever they want to do it. And when you are um, in a four-wheel drive vehicle, a miracle occurs, which is that you disappear because you become part of the vehicle. And without exception, the animals are totally oblivious to your presence. Sometimes, you know, they tell us some of these animals have really good sense of smell. I think, oh, they must be smelling us. We tried to be pretty quiet, but animals can have good hearing nothing seemed to face cameras them. click they were just doing their thing and it's amazing to see that in action it makes you not want to go to a zoo we did uh, four different camps so you see different animals in different camps in different parts of South Africa. The big park that you hear about is Kruger National Park because it has all the big five and the big five are the Cape Buffalo the leopard the elephant, elephant. the lion and the rhino. And that has nothing to do with how important or prominent they are. It has to do with the bad old days when hunters used to come uh, and slaughter these animals so they could hang their heads on the walls of their yeah, stately oh homes. Boy. I can kind of understand even now the appeal of hunting for these animals because it is a thrill to suddenly come upon one behind a bush that you were not expecting to see. But, but um, hunting them with a camera for me is a lot more soul satisfying. And these days, uh, South Africa, as well as many of the other countries that we visited, no longer allow hunting. 
because they realize that the money is in tourism like us and if you kill all the animals then you're not going to have a chance to show them off to your tourists and this is a very popular bucket list i would say wouldn't you yeah. for almost everybody yeah. uh anybody is, who likes the outdoors this is I a think. bucket well, and that's RVers. Yeah. this is a bucket list item something you cannot do in the united states uh south africa tanzania kenya are all big uh, safari locations uh, and they all offer great safaris we came back to south africa because we <laughs> we actually rv through this we mentioned that last month that we RV'd through this area, but it was very interesting to see it again in uh, in a slightly more posh manner. Um, tented camps, the term is quite broad in that you never know exactly what your tented <laughs> camp will be like. There was indeed a tented canvas part of the structure yes. for everyone we stayed in, but some of them were very substantial, had bathrooms on them with real plumbing and real toilets and real showers, and they were quite posh. Uh, we had air conditioning in all of them and running water and good good enough lighting. Some of them had that musty old tent <laughs> smell that I remember from, oh, yes. from my younger days and, and really were more tent-like. And part of the p appeal of that is that you are there in the bush with the animals and they tend to do a lot of their um, hunting activities in the dark so you're pretty safe during the day because you can see what's coming yes. and really not much was coming but they're very careful to tell you in the evening that they want you to walk to your tent accompanied by somebody in some tents they brought a gun with them yes um to make sure that the you would be safe and during the night elephants could come rampaging <laughs> through your area where you were trying to sleep in a tent and, it's and, very and, easy to hear all that and that's not a joke we you do have just a canvas wall between you and the outside world it is i would call it glamping which is camping without a, a vehicle so they were nice on the inside but you know air conditioning a tent is really hard for instance um, but we, we were comfortable we were comfortable most of the time and they had a nice bed a bathroom that was uh, functional you could shower and stuff and it had hot water so we we felt pretty comfortable there and some of them were in the order of uh, six hundred dollars a night so it wasn't like pretty uh, -da. but that included three meals a day because you're out in the middle of nowhere so you have to have a uh, complete services offered by the camp and the camp itself was uh, wide open spaces I mean the food or the uh, the dining hall was just out in the open <laughs> and uh, all that being said we had an elephant go down the path that we took to our our cabin uh, one day during the day surprisingly enough one night we had lions that we could hear roaring and things, but <laughs> the cabins are fairly far apart, and people 200 yards away said that they could hear them walking outside their tent, and that's exciting. And then we had baboons kind of run through the site, uh, picking up whatever they could find. Uh, but most of the, it's interesting that the animals don't see these enclosures 
you're not allowed to have food in them. It would these enclosures as a place that they would visit. The only animal that you <laughs> would have to worry about wanting to come in are monkeys, and we had ingenious devices depending on the tented camp just to keep them out. And it wasn't like they would hurt you, but they might steal your stuff or make a big mess. Um, yeah. Take your sunglasses if they got in. If they got in. They uh, all of the tented camps had sliding glass doors for entry. Uh, not a canvas with a zip, but they had windows that did zip. But the monkeys had a hard time operating the sliding glass doors, which I guess is very good because we didn't we did not experience any incursions into our tent or none of the people in our group. We were with a group of about eighteen, which meant we needed three trucks uh, to go out on game drives because twice a day, and we've been getting up very early, four thirty or so, you get up. You maybe have a cup of coffee and maybe a donut, and then you jump into the safari vehicles, which are nine passenger, and in our case only we only had six, so that everybody could sit on the outside and have a good view. Uh, we, which is an important factor, I think that's uh, something to be sought after, so that we would uh, then get into the vehicles and drive for three hours looking for game. And it wasn't Disney World, so no. sometimes we didn't see much of anything for two hours, and then on the third hour, all of a sudden, we saw a whole bunch of exciting things right next to each other. Uh, you never knew. And certainly the imagination takes over as you're peering <laughs> past the rocks, through the trees, trying to see what else is out there. Um, I should mention when we came to South Africa last in 2006, we were here in their fall, and the vegetation was definitely thinning at that time. And this year we were here during the rainy season where the vegetation is very green and lush, which makes it a the area much more beautiful to observe but hides a lot of the animals and we were told that this is a good time of year to see baby animals but baby animals are even less <laughs> easy to see because their mom is hiding them in the bush yeah, somewhere yeah, so yeah. that you can't so um, you always wonder what's the best time of year to do this um, and I would say probably the rainy season was not right. even though we didn't get a lot of rain no. ourselves that would have made us uncomfortable or so they say October is very good, and then again, uh, Early a little spring. bit later than this, uh-huh. which would be in May and June. So I don't know. Uh, the prices are about the same no matter when you come, but I think you would have uh, w- w- lots more people, tourism, in the various places that we visited. And of course we should mention that when we planned this trip a year ago, COVID was raging through South Africa and we wondered whether we would be able to come at all. And we're happy to say that things have calmed down here just as they have at home. You spend a lot of time not even thinking about it. Nobody wears a mask. We've had to show our vaccination cards once. Um, And so it feels... And that was not to get into South Africa. So it feels very safe here in that way. And the tented camp people, I should also say, are very careful to give you clean water and clean food so people didn't have any of the stomach problems that you worry about as long as you eat in the camp area. <laughs> but you had no choices, basically. Well, there were times when yeah. we could have gone, well, on out, the bus, but... gone out and bought something creative yeah. somewhere, but not a good idea. So the tented camps are usually on private game reserves, and there is a difference between national parks and private game reserves. In the United States, you know, you go to see the national parks because that's where the scenery is. 
in these countries, the national parks are game reserves, but the game is not necessarily reserved to those parks. So it's not like going to see the Grand Canyon, which is always in the same place. These animals wander around. And because they have designated large swaths of land, uh, Kruger National Park is the size of, of Connecticut, they have designated large swaths of land as designated for animal conservation, but the animals move. And the animals are not always by the side of the road. And this is a problem when you're in a, in a national park because I hate to use the term road. Well, we often started out on a paved road, but it didn't yes. last very long. The road turns into a two-tire track little thing, but you can't. the vehicles are not allowed to go off of the quote-unquote road. In a public park. In a public park, but in a private game reserve, they can because it's their land. And it's private. But the animals can roam freely. The only thing that's cut off are the roads. You can't go into the private game reserves without an invitation from the owner. And they often have very nice uh, accommodations ready for their guests who pay for that. So, um, for example, the best lion viewing we had, we initially spotted him from a tower high up in the air, and we knew where he was, um, and we wanted to just jump in the cars and go track him down, but we weren't allowed to do that. We were in a public park, and we were very lucky that day because that lion decided to come out and share the road with us, and that was our <laughs> best photo viewing opportunity. If any of you have been camping in Denali, in Alaska. It's a similar experience to what you have there because they confine you to a old school bus and drive you down the road. Yeah, and that's you can, true. That's a good example. You can peer out the windows of the school bus, which get dusty in no time. Um, but again, your animal viewing is very limited there. That was very frustrating. At, at a quite a distance. Um, we Certainly the viewing experience here is far better even in a public park when you are confined to the road. Um, but you just can't go chase those animals down like you would like to do and they probably don't want you to do that anyway with that said many of the animals do enjoy using the roads themselves because it's an easy way to get through the brush and we had many encounters especially with elephants that were on the road and that they were literally within a feet of us and that's a, a, a thrilling experience uh, the largest land mammal coming up to your vehicle and smelling it and looking at you and and of course great pictures we how hope. many have you taken so far only seven thousand wow <laughs> I should add that when you're on a drive uh, as in a group as we were, that the drivers all carry some sort of walkie-talkie radio setup, and they communicate with each other. So if someone has seen a leopard, a very rare experience, uh, they tell the others, and everybody goes roaring as fast as they can yeah. to where that leopard was seen so they can see it too. Yeah, we missed the very best leopard viewing because we couldn't get there in time, even though we were going 30, 40 miles an hour. <laughs> extremely rutted roads. Yes. Yeah, and I should say, if you have any back or neck problems, doing four-wheel game drives for six hours a day takes a toll. And stepping up into the vehicle 
proved yeah, to be, to be challenging to... for many people. They d- they did have a cover, so you didn't have to worry too much about sun, uh-huh. uh, or I guess rain, which we didn't have too much of. But uh, and it was nice and warm. That was another good thing that. And we when enjoyed. you're when you're moving, um, it's like being in a fan. So even if it is a pretty hot day, we were never really. It was in the nineties some days because and, you have this constant wind going at you. And unlike the United States, this area is in summer, <laughs> so it can get uh, quite warm it was on many beautiful. days. Now the cruise. Let's see. Are there things we should talk about with the safari? Nobody's asked us any questions, so we'll ask if you have questions about safari. This is our third safari, so we do have a little bit of experience. It's a long way down here, as we mentioned last month. The, the flights are a bear, and that going to Kenya or Tanzania would be a little closer. A little closer, and the game viewing is just as good. Um, so it's worth it to go with a company who takes care of all the details rather than organizing it on your own. We saw numerous people who were doing it on their own, and it just didn't flow as smoothly as uh, being on a tour. And there are issues you don't think about. Like the first park we went to had a lot of grass that was probably about as tall as I am. And when I looked down at the passenger sedans that were sharing the road with us, the people Rentals. were not... Uh, come from Johannesburg and been locals uh, they were not tall enough to see over the grass to see anything at all so being in a vehicle designed for all camp drive um, is a better way to go in my opinion so there are things that uh, are important to consider as you do a safari if you want to get the most out of it uh, we did night drives we did day drives we did early morning we did late night drives we did all day drives so <laughs> That's just what you do on safari. It gets kind of tiring, but it is often very productive, and and all of a sudden things can change. And we had one group that was uh, that we weren't in, but they were charged by an elephant, and they had to back up very quickly. So, you know, the animals are out there doing their thing, and that's uh, always that's, that, that's really here. nice to that's see. And that's here. what. Now, another way to do kind of a safari is the cruise that we're on, because this cruise is a a uh, 12-day intensive South Africa, they call it. And we are going to several ports where about the only thing to do is to go on safari. And you would get a shore excursion, and they would take you to, most of the time, a private game reserve, and they would shuttle you around for the day. Now, that eliminates the really early morning game drive, or the late at night game drive. Right, because the ship is moving almost every day. And... And it involves a fair amount of commuting back and forth from the ship to the park, which is kind of a waste of time. Yes, and to me it's substantially more expensive. They do offer two or three overnights on But then cruise. you're paying to be on this cruise ship and you're paying to be somewhere else, which is also very expensive. Exactly. So although you can have this safari experience uh, with uh, this cruise ship, it isn't quite as efficient as actually going on safari. But obviously, if you have a limited amount of time, you're going to have to choose between the two. Living on the ship is very convenient. You don't, We were very tired of packing and unpacking our suitcases every three days as we moved from camp to camp. We had four flights that we had to be on. We had limited amount of weight on each of those flights because they were internal, and so the airlines restrict the amount of stuff that you can bring. All of that gets kind of tedious after a while. 
not that I'm complaining, but. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you're limited in the clothing that you can bring. You're limited in keeping it clean, although most of the tented camps had some sort of hand washing services that yes. we could hand um, washing pay clothes. for. And we, we have to add that getting your laundry done in South Africa was one one hundredth of the cost that it was in Scandinavia. It's incredibly, it, it, overall, South Africa is one of the cheapest countries we've ever visited, at least by today's standards. I don't know, do we want to talk about load sharing? Well, no. I don't know how long that's going to be a factor. Right, right. Uh, the camps generally run on generators because they're so far out in the bush, and they shut the generators off frequently because during the night, during the night because it burns diesel, and that's expensive for them. But beyond that, as we mentioned last month, uh, we found out that load sharing, and that's kind of a euphemism. a euphemism for turning off the electricity in the middle of the day. Regularly scheduled blackouts. Or that the power company, Commonwealth Edison, or whoever the, the, the equivalent is here in South Africa, shuts off the power to everybody on a rolling basis. And so some people are on and some people are off, and then it flips around and the people that were off or on, but it's, and you could never quite know what's where it's going to be. We don't know. They have an app. Can you believe this? There's an app for load sharing, which tells people when the power is going to be off or on, which would obviously be important if it's your life. Here, you're coming home, you want to cook? No, no way to cook. But we should say we stayed in nice hotels that had generators, so they kept the power going pretty seamlessly. And in the tented camps, because they were camping, uh, I think the power just came from generators often. So we did not suffer so from it personally. Um, but as a resident of South Africa, thinking about not having regular electricity in your life just drives you mad. And I have to add that the Wi-Fi in the tented camps by and large, was better than, better than, than what we're finding here on the cruise ship, which is kind of ironic. But we do want to mention that the last hotel that we stayed in, in, in Cape Town itself, had no generator. Uh, we happened to be lucky for the 18 hours that we stayed there that they didn't have uh, a power blackout. blackout. Yeah. But uh, others who were staying in the hotel talked about the fact that it's very dark in your room when, <laughs> when the power goes out. And when you find oh. it in your hotel room, what I used to call a bear light, we had one in our RV in case a bear came That's along. That's right. Um, Martha that, would scare away the bear with a light. That was not a good sign to have a bear light in your hotel room. <laughs> Bad things were coming. Phone connectivity. We have been using the Aerolo. We have, uh, the T-Mobile has worked very well, I think. Which we've been talking about the last few months. Which we've been talking about, and it has uh, worked uh, its magic down here. Every time we go into a new country, I get this little message that says, your T-Mobile account is now active in whatever country you're in. In Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, in Botswana, which is great, and it has worked pretty well. But uh, the Aerolo, which I have bought the Aerolo card for South Africa, only works in South Africa. Uh, I was a little shocked when I went to Botswana, and my Aerolo didn't work anymore. And I thought, wow, what the heck's in that? Oh, it's only for South Africa. You can't so buy a more universal version of that? You can. Uh, they have ones that are more or less good for Africa, but unfortunately, 
unfortunately, they are substantially more expensive. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) And me being a cheapskate. Gets no connectivity at all. Gets connect. But for the second half of this cruise, where we sail from Cape Town up to Lisbon, uh, where we will not be in South Africa any longer, I will probably get a different Aerolo card that might be more valuable for those parts of the world. I don't know. I haven't quite decided how how to work that yet. We won't have the podcast to worry about, so I won't have to be uploading with that. So I'm hoping to upload this podcast with the last of the Aerolo uh, minutes. minutes, not minutes, but megabytes. So, and now maybe we should talk a little bit about RVing and some of the topics that uh, in the United States. Oh, it's so long away. Next month we will be back in town. Last month we talked to you about our mostly my adventure with Chat GPT and cool. um, using AI to write my blog rather than doing it myself. But we found some pretty hilarious photos that were also created by AI, supposedly to illustrate RV articles. And the people gave a description of something they were trying to portray, like how do you empty your black tank? The AI came up with a photograph illustrating how to do that. (laughs) This is where AI has really uh, some problems because they said uh, a woman hooking up her trailer to the truck and it had the trailer coming into the side of the truck where the tire would go. Um, And another picture, and I'm going to put these pictures on the website uh, assuming everything goes Okay, but you might want to take a look at these these pictures uh, from the article that we are including. That was this this was from. So they 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 did several things that were quite funny. They had another one where the uh, lighting the the uh, hot water hot tank. water heater, and they they had a spigot coming out of the side of the RV, uh, spouting water, and with a the person had a match and just crazy things that that the description the ai had not done enough reading and studying about the rv world this is wally 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 no dolly 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 Dolly. so that (laughs) i guess uh it's not quite as uh, well ai hasn't taken over the world anyway i guess is it possible to overcharge your rv's batteries hmm what do you think? I really don't know much about electricity, has been, which has been well established in previous podcasts. Uh, basically, the answer... Back to you, Ken. If you have a modern three-stage charger, it's almost impossible to overcharge your batteries. How do you know if you have a modern three-stage charger? Well, that's one of the things you need to check, because it goes into float charging, which means that it will just keep the batteries topped up and not overcharge them. However, if you have one of these ones like the charger that you use to charge your car battery when it's when it's dead, that you will overcharge them. And the way you know is because the bat- <laughs> the batteries will explodes. Uh, will go dry. Exactly. And so it is possible, but th- that was a question that we had from our listeners, so I basically say no. You cannot overcharge your batteries. You can leave them in plugged as long as your charger has 
three stages. Flow management? Has voltage management, exactly. South Dakota. We were very surprised to read that South Dakota is thinking about kicking out RVers who use that beautiful state as their official address. This has been a very popular choice for people. They have um, low taxes. They don't um, require you to be there very often. There are many mail forwarding. And the registration of your vehicles is cheap. There are many mail forwarding services that are in South Dakota, and you use the address that you have for the service as your residence. So we are surprised to read that there are two bills going through their legislature that would would eliminate this as a choice. Um, I'm not real sure what they're worried about. Uh, people who have an address in South Dakota are entitled to vote in South Dakota at the moment, but it doesn't really say that that has anything to do with it. And I, I, I more could see them trying to put more taxes on RVers and getting some more money from them, but that's not what these bills say. So the bottom line is, if you are a South Dakota resident, that you might want to have a choice. <laughs> well, I have a plan B, but you might want to, because you are a resident of South Dakota, you might want to be more proactive about uh, letting your legislature know that uh, you want to continue being a resident of South Dakota. And as so an RVer, what an asset you are to that state. Now, both of these bills have been sent to committee, and it's not clear whether they will come out and make it for a vote. That remains to be seen, but you need to keep an eye on this story because it could really affect your life. Yes, if you're a full-timer, for sure. Mini Walmarts of rural America expand to 19,000 stores. Dollar, By mini, Dollar Generals. Dollar there's, Generals, there's, which there's they call Mini one. Walmarts. There's another one. You could say how often we go to this type of yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think in rural America, sometimes that's the only place you have to shop because even Walmarts haven't lasted. Well, I think they have universally inexpensive prices, uh, and the quality of the stuff is variable, so as long as you pay attention. I think you're okay for manufactured goods, but fresh fruit and vegetables I'm a little more dubious about. But having 19,000 stores means they have great buying power, so they can get stuff cheap, and that there is a store that's close by. Yeah, great coverage. Great coverage. We don't, <laughs> I don't know, we go to the regular Walmart as a rule because of the select. But if you're living out of a trailer and you're worried right. about having too much weight in, in the back that? of your trailer, you, you yes. have to shop more frequently and in smaller quantities. And then these stores are where you go. Exactly. But, dear listener, what do you do? Do you go to Dollar General? Or do you go to Walmart? Or do you go someplace else? Or are you a Whole Foods shopper? Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. That's the one people are always raving about. It's another one we never go to. Trader Joe's. If you're thinking about RVing on a more full-time basis, we've read a lot about people who kind of plunge into this big decision without giving it a lot of, having much experience in that area or giving it a lot of thought. We have an article here about people who are learning how to manage living in a small space and to determine what really works for them in terms of how they want 
to live. Uh, we've known many people who have sold their houses either because it was the only way to afford an RV or because they just planned on leaving the area, but then they end up putting a lot of stuff in a U-Haul storage unit <laughs> and paying a rental for yes. that and coming back and visiting their stuff every so often. And then often. getting rid of it. It's a decision that is huge. Uh, we're, we're wondering about our new friends who had a Class A and now are going to move to a trailer. They aren't going to live there full time, but it's a, it's a decision that has an impact on your life that's kind of hard to envision unless you live it for a while. Small space living can be a problem, and I think it depends on, on you and your spouse. I mean, here we are in this uh, cruise ship cabin, which is uh, smaller than our RV, I would say. Uh, of course, we don't have to cook in it, but you have to, <laughs> you can't walk around the bed without bumping into somebody. And when we came in here and unpacked, we had to do it one at a time, because we couldn't both unpack our suitcases and access the closet. Um, we would have been stepping on each other the whole time and when and that was okay for an hour but when that's your life that can get very and 24 7 can you live with your spouse 24 7 in close quarters on the ship i guess you can go someplace else for a while but you're still in the bed and you're in the bathroom and you have to share and be and that's could be for a lot of people i don't see that as as really a positive but you got to be able to do that if you going to be a full-time RV and you need to consider it before you decide to go full-time or to cruise for an extended period of time. The other thing I've found that has happened to me, even in our big motorhome, is that I cram it so full of stuff <laughs> that I can't find it. <laughs> so I, And when, that's true in your cruise cabin, when too. We, when we come home and I unload everything, I find clothes that I wish I would have worn, but I forgot they were in the very back. Uh, that goes for shoes. That goes for cooking utensils. They have to be accessible <laughs> so that you can see what you've got. And it's a pain in the neck in our pantry, even in the... In the motorhome when, whenever I want to cook I have to take everything out of there we don't have those nice sliding drawers yeah. like some people do yeah, because inevitably what I want to access is in the back so I have to unpack everything get that out pack everything back up again now, before I can start cooking that can get on your nerves now see I'm a cube packer. you can't do food in a cube well you could I'm a cube packer I'd pack my clothes in bundles in cubes that are that zip together so that I know what's in them I don't lose stuff as some people do yes I do well and on this trip in particular we had to keep changing what suitcases we were living oh. out and leaving some of them behind and I'm sure there's stuff I'm not finding that I have here somewhere um that's small living. Okay, so I think that's about it for this month. We are about to uh, come into port, and that means that we're going to be off on another shore excursion as the days go on here. We have several more, and we will be home on April... March. March 26th. So the next podcast will be done from home, where we will be anxiously awaiting Martha's knee surgery. I was very worried about even completing this trip because I've been battling my knee for 20 years now and it's very clear to me that I need a new one. I've got a replacement scheduled for right after we get home so I will probably be distracted from RVing and even thinking
anything about it. And it'll mean that we, we were, honest to God, we were going to take another RV trip this spring and be able to talk to you from our own experiences, but I have to stop and get this done. So I'm not excited about it. Everybody tells me that I will be glad that I did it and it comes out well, but send me your good wishes. That's right. Well, I want, I want the listeners to tell Martha their good experiences with having their <laughs> knee replaced. Well, I mean, almost everybody we talk to who has had a knee replaced has been said, why did I wait so long to have it done? Because it's been great. We talked to a lady yesterday who had her knee done, and she's playing tennis and pickleball, and she's golfs. And, Return to an active life, and, which is uh, what I want to do. Exactly. Because right now I'm having trouble even getting... But she did have a big scar yeah, on her Yeah, it's a 10-inch scar down your leg. 10 yes. inches. Yep. Five inches below and five inches above. So you're going to hear that in intimate detail, ladies and gentlemen. Whether as you we want to or not. <laughs> Whether you want to or not. On the RV Navigator podcast, because we no longer talk about RVing. We only talk about what's happening in our lives. And if you have any good simple recipes you want to send to my cook while we're home, who is taking cook, over. Cook me? Oh, I have taking, to cook? Well, you have to take over all the household duties for a while. Really? Really. Oh. So help, help my poor husband get ready as well. <laughs> Uh, peanut butter and jelly. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fast food. Uh-huh. You're going to go to the Dollar General? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be going to the Dollar General, exactly. Oh, we have a lot of exciting stuff to look forward to, and you're going to want to join us on this adventure as we move on down the road and uh, find new exciting things to talk about as the RV Navigator transitions to the Navigator. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe in the fall we can get back in the RV. Yeah, we will for sure. So uh, we very much appreciate you joining us uh, on this adventure, and we'd love to hear from you at rvnavigator.com. But if you want to send us an email, it's rvnavigator at macmac.com. And, of course, you can find that on the website also for this month. March. March of 2023. So until April, we will say goodbye and we wish you happy travels, good health, and thank you for staying with us. Thank you. Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>